This Tome Show production is supported by Noble Knight Games, where Out of Print is available again, and by listeners like you. Keep using the affiliate links for Amazon and dndclassics.com and support the show while you shop. Welcome to the News Desk. Once a month, we get together to chat about the latest news in D&D, and your two anchors today are me, Sam Dillon. And me, Jeff Greiner. And we're here to talk about the D&D news from June of 2013, reporting for us live from the digital version of Mistara is our 32-bit reporter, Randall Walker. Randall, how are things in Mistara? Magical. <laughs> of course they are. Nice. Speaking of things that are magical. <laughs> it was a magical night in Columbus, Ohio, uh, when the Origins Game Fair announced who their Origins Award winners were because the winner of the best board game for 2013 was Lords of Waterdeep. Yay! Huge cheering. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the representation of, of D&D products are, is usually pretty rare on... Uh, the Origins Awards, as, as I recall, looking, thinking back on them. Well, in uh, the recent past, that's true, yes. It's well, usually been like one or two games, and it's usually for either artwork or layout or something. Yeah. Uh, although, in fairness, you know, they haven't been producing a whole lot lately. That's true, so, yeah. You know. So, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm happy for the guys doing it, and uh, it explains a lot about why uh, when I get to my uh, In the Works section, I'll get to talk <laughs> about the expansion coming up. <laughs> that's right, yeah. It's a it's a good game, you know. It's it's uh, it deserves the award, I think, and um, it sort of brings D and D into the the sort of more modern board game sphere uh, that's not a miniatures game. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that it won. Yeah, I give him kudos. So, Randall, yes, you've got some magical news to share as well. This is so short, I can actually read it verbatim. Sweet Pea Entertainment has filed a motion for summary judgment asking the judge to toss Wizards of the Coast suit over the Dungeons & Dragons movie which um, uh, Wizards of the Coast suit in May asking that Sweet Pea Entertainment be prevented from proceeding with the D&D movie at Warner's which conflicts with Wizards of the Coast plans for a D&D movie at Universal. Sweet Pea produced the 2000 D&D feature and the recent Book of Vile Darkness TV movie for Sci-Fi. In its motion, Sweet Pea made the argument that it is still the licensee with rights to D&D, but it has not infringed on any trademarks and copyrights because nothing's been made or distributed, that Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast, can't identify what copyrights are allegedly being infringed, and that Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast, did not provide Sweet Pea with notice and an opportunity to cure before terminating its license as required by the contract. So what we have here is um, the chance that maybe a bad D&D movie won't be made. <laughs> well, <laughs> so that's how I'm or, reading it. Or rather, it seems like there's two different companies that want to make the next bad D and D movie. Yeah, <laughs> and there's, yeah, a fight over, that as well. there's a fight over who gets to do it. Right? Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, so yeah, I know there are some people that have some kind of really bizarre love for the D and D movies. I think they've all been abysmal, and I have lots of thoughts about that, but. Yeah. Another time, maybe. No, well, and I think and, I think what what this comes down to, I mean, like when they announced that that you know they were going to make a new D and D movie, it's like, oh, well, that's really cool, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm happy for the Watsi guys. That'll be great for them because they'll get money in licensing and, and brand recognition. All kinds of good things happen with that. And then, like less than a week later, Watsi announced, uh, yeah, they didn't come and talk to us about any of that. 
Um, yeah. So they're doing this completely without our blessing and without our information, and <laughs> and we kind of already had our own plans, uh, you know. Yeah. And right. so it's all just a fight over the legalese of, of who owns the licensing and who doesn't. So I didn't, right. I'm not a lawyer, and I don't know the, the whole deal. So I don't either. I'll be curious to see what happens, and I keep crossing my fingers that you know, if one com- if Universal makes it or if Warner's makes it, whatever. I'd like to see a good D and D movie. I, I I will see a good D and D movie when they don't call it a D and D movie. Well, I, well but, but at that point they don't they don't have to license it from anybody, right? Yeah. It's just Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, while you while the audience is waiting for that whole debacle to be straightened out, I urge you to go to YouTube and watch a video produced by the PBS Offbook series uh-huh. from Digital Studios called Dungeons and Dragons and the Influence of Tabletop RPGs. We'll put a link in your show notes. It's seven minutes and it's a nice little tribute to, to D&D. You better, uh, and you better be putting a link in, in my show notes. <laughs> I, I, I'm putting a link in your show notes, Jeff. I don't know if that sounds dirty or what. Yeah, biggity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then my uh, lightning round, if you want to call it that, um, article to look at is the in the works which is never really a lightning round because there's always so much going on the first of which is they talk about events uh, and they mentioned the new encounters season is it a new season it's the summer summer season uh called search for the diamond staff um going on and we're going to talk more about some changes coming up with encounters later on so um you know hey there's a new encounter season <laughs> so that's happening if you're into that well, and hey, go check it out. Dig, I've, I've yeah. always said, were I to have the time, I would I would definitely do encounters. But mm-hmm. people are digging it. It's just a yeah. it's just a time issue for me. Uh, and they talk about Gen Con. They they reiterate the the pre sale of the of the exclusive Ghosts of Dragonsphere Castle that we talked about last time. <clears throat> um, you know, and I think Mike Merles on a recent uh, Legends of Lore post even talked about some of the events going on and what have you. So it looks like they're going to be doing a lot of stuff that'll be really cool, even if. Some of the things they've traditionally done are, are fading, right? Um, the booth on the exhibition floor is going to be gone, I hear. Um, and the uh, seminars are going to be cut in half from what they used to be. Um, but that, if that means more gaming, then that may not all be bad. Yeah, I'm not. I'm looking for, you know, I've been there for the last two years now, and I think it's been, you know, the booth has been a minor part. They don't sell merchandise at it anyway. And yeah. I think that. Um, having dedicated rooms actually uh, allows the customers to be less distracted um, from everything else going on, and so they can focus on their customer a little bit better. And like I said, concentrated gaming. So I think it's a win for them. Well, it, it, it's tricky though because there's a sense of nostalgia. I mean, there there has been decades and decades of Wizards of the Coast having the most elaborate, awesome booth ever yeah. on the yeah. floor every single year, and then all of a sudden they're going to go from not just not having the best booth, but not having a booth at all. Well, look at it this way: if it turns out that there's a lot of feedback that says, oh, my God, we really missed the booth. Um, we would have spent money if you'd had a booth, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Then look for a huge, giant booth uh, <laughs> at the rollout next year. In fact, I would anyway because, you know, they're oh, releasing yeah. it in 2014. So yeah, I expect that, that some of it also has to come down. I, I And this is all assumption, but I, I presume some of it has to come down to, hey, maybe we can't justify some of the expense on things that don't that don't show profit on an, on oh, on a year when we're not producing product, you know. Yep. So uh, the next in the in the categories is video games. They talk about the uh, Neverwinter MMORPG. Anybody play it? No. All right. Me too. But it's a PC thing, so I don't play MMOs anymore. I, so. I don't either. Yeah. 
Uh, I never started. So heard I it's awesome, but then yeah, the, it's cool. There's the the Capcom Chronicles of Mistara, which I understand is a port of an old game. Sam, you're the expert on this. Yes, it's the port of an old uh, side scroller fighty game. That uh, that's from it's a way back old eight bit digital kind of well I don't know if it's eight bit but it, it's an old arcade uh, yeah. redo so it's not even a an old uh, console it's an old arcade box game so mm. it's and, fun and it's currently let's see as I'm looking at this it's currently on PlayStation Network Steam uh, Xbox uh, there are plans to release it in, on Wii U well, I might get uh, it from Steam what's it running so, on Steam Sam what'd you tell me fifteen Fourteen ninety nine. That's not too bad. So there you go. Uh, and then there's also still uh, more in the works for DNA's Arena of War, the uh, the I guess mobile uh, game that they're working on that's supposed to be Android and iOS uh, compatible. Um, mm-hmm. And they say they gave us a, a date of late July for that. So you know, end of the month when people are probably hearing this. And then for some reason in the middle of these categories, they, they um, sneak in a quick announcement about the Sundering and that, you know, keep an eye out for that. There's novels, there's games, there's uh, products and stuff coming out. They're all going to be teasing different parts of the Sundering coming out uh, this summer, sort of culminating with the launch of the novels at Gen Con. I've been really enjoying uh, the D&D books on Audible. Uh, they've continued to schedule the release of more uh, basically Drist books. Um, they're going to try to. I think they're working on basically getting everything that that all the Drist books that have been written, sort of the back catalog, recorded and up on Audible. So they're continuing to work on that with a few. Let's see, what looks like one more book coming out this month, and more are scheduled for the rest of the the year. Because D and D fans cannot get enough of Drist. Correct. It's true. Uh, there are more ebooks coming along. Uh, Cold and Steel, Cold Steel and Secrets by Rosemary Jones, The Last Threshold by Salvatore. Um, ebooks of those available. They've got a list of all the things being published in the PDF store at dndclassics.com. Um, for May and June, there's a list of what it looks like a dozen or so um, titles being released for each one each mm-hmm. month. Um, and if you're going to go there, make sure you go through our link so I can get credit for it. And then uh, board games. Is this the month that uh, the Skullport, Lords of Waterdeep Skullport expansion is supposed to come out? Sounds I, right. I, I assume it yeah, is since it's I listed under so. the June in the works. It doesn't actually list the date here um, in the entry for it, but I assume it's coming out or it, it came out in June. Um, Scoundrels of Skullport. August 20th is what it's showing on Amazon. Yep, release date, August 2013. All right, so they're just pimping it early, I guess. Yep. Anyway, that's the... uh, I'm sure you can probably pre-order it if you... Oh, yeah. If you want to. And if you want to do that on Amazon, also do it through our affiliate link. There you go. (laughs) So there. All right. Is that uh, all the lightning round? That's it. Lightning rounded. Well, before we get too much further, we should mention our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. Our pick of this episode is the premium reprint of the A-Series AD&D modules. It was just released this month, June 19th, and it includes the A1 through A4 modules, as well as a whole new introductory module uh, adventure called AO or A0, Danger at Dark Shelf Quarry. It's meant to be the sort of introduction to get your group right into A1, because I believe A1 is a module for fourth-level characters. Um, yeah, 
it's done in the same style as the previous AD&D reprints that have been released. So it has a nice brown faux leather looking cover, although the cover's not leather, it just looks like leather. Uh, but it has a nice, you know, monogram thing on the front and a nice picture and all that. So you can uh, go to Noble Knight Games and save $10 by buying it through them. And uh, so go over there and be sure to check it out and tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade. So you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. And now it's time to get into the in-depth topics. I will set the timer. I didn't change the sound of this time around, so I hope we're good with the, uh, the blues that we played last time. Sure. And there. And then I get to start off. And I want to talk a little bit more about Encounters. Um, and, and we should note for, for uh, people's benefit... Uh, for and for setting our, our sources here, um, not all of our information this time along is coming from the Wizards website. We are getting some information from ICV2, uh, which is a great website. Uh, I, I believe most of the article that Randy read earlier about the movies was from there, um, and I'm going to be referencing it in this encounters discussion as well. So ICV2.com, it's a great uh, source for sort of geek news. I get a daily newsletter from them. Yeah, they had the uh, Origins Award listings too. Yep. Uh, but in any case, here's, what, here's what's kind of going on, is they've decided that starting with Murder in Baldur's Gate, which is, it's not the current one, it's the next, it's the August um, mm-hmm. s- starting encounter season. Right. That they're going to start charging for the, the encounter season. They get sort of, you, you pay 35 bucks and you get a, a box with, you know, uh, a book to, to tell you how to run the program and all the... Uh, mod- the modules and the maps and you know it'll still have all the the stuff that they used to get uh in the campaign kit uh promo for like di- dms or game stores promo dice and all that kind of stuff right uh, say it again for like dms or for game stores well that's the thing right is that oh. y- you cannot run encounters without this box and now you have to pay for the for, pay for the box it's oh, okay. meant to be an on-the-shelf product but there's also a free part of it that the store will get for running encounters that includes maps and extra tokens and little goodies that are okay. extra that you wouldn't get in the in the uh, box yeah, on yeah. on shelf product. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. So that's the in, the intro sort of day ha- is mm. is encompassed in the free part, and then it's meant for you to buy the off the shelf product to continue that and to finish out the first day. Right, and and I'm I'm personally kind of torn on the whole thing, right? Because on one hand, it'll be awesome to not have to do encounters in order to get access to some of this stuff because that that'll be cool for somebody who doesn't have time for encounters but wouldn't mind seeing all this stuff it's been a long-standing complaint about the program sure exactly yeah sure although on the other hand um they had a follow-up article there's a a guy who does a weekly article called rolling for initiative from them who runs a game store in missouri um and 
he seems to be pretty clear that that a lot of the people he's talking to aren't aren't willing to pay for it. A lot of the game stores he's talking to are like, you know, well, okay, that'll be fun for you guys, but uh, I guess we'll look for other options. Because the whole, you know, for them, the whole point of encounters is to encourage people to to get out and play and be in the game stores and, su- and to support the game stores. And, and they well, fe- they feel like this is not really supporting it like it used to. Yeah. Well, from from the from the sort of player slash GM perspective, I was actually I had a conversation on Twitter with Cam Banks about this, and his uh-huh. his point was. Um, they're taking away the incentive for someone to donate their time to run D&D. So unless that GM, unless the Encounters game is their sort of weekly standard game, uh-huh. there's really no other incentive for them to go run a game in public to, to basically advertise for D&D and to get fresh blood and new players in there if they really don't get any you – know, his, his – uh, his idea or his concern was that the incentive is now gone because if you have to pay for it, then why not gather your own players and pick exactly who you want to play with and not do it in public and not have all the, all the other hassles of that. That deals with that. Right. I mean, there are still some advantages, right? You get, you do get the free campaign kit if you do it in the game store and Mm -hmm. run it. Um, So there are some things you'll get, um, but it does lessen the, the appeal. And, and certainly, uh, and, and, as I look through sort of the comments, um, what's the guy's name? Scott Thorne, who, who writes the article, mm-hmm. went out and talked to a bunch of you know, game store owners and things. And they all came, came across you know, relatively down on it. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, is 35 bucks really a big enough barrier that they're going to stop doing it if they have demand for it? Right. You know, yeah. for, you know, they might complain. They might say they're going to stop. But I don't well, know if, if that I don't know that if that's, that's the same article that I read. I, I probably is, but wasn't there one that who basically said we already charged players for yes, coming in? Yes, they did. <laughs> so you know now it just means that the money that they were charching them is going to have to go to actually buying the product. Buying the product, yeah. You know, then then getting so. Wait a minute, free, I'm, so. I'm still confused. Who is paying the thirty five to be able to run the games in the game okay. store? Okay, that is up to the game store. The game store can purchase it for AGM to run the encounters program, and then it belongs to the game store. Or they could put it on the shelf as an on the shelf product and make the GM buy it to run the encounters program. There is a portion of the of the kit that is separate from the on the shelf product that is contains some extras, a couple of extra maps, some new fresh tokens, and a couple of little goodies for the GM running the the encounter session. Okay, so let me ask another question. Mm-hmm. What how many tables does that one kit allow you to run? One. Yep. So a game store would have to lay out thirty five for every table they want to run. Yep. Eh. Uh, okay. In that case, it's a toss up. Yeah. If you're only running one or two tables, you know, you're if you're a game store and you can't put that kind of money out to that and then take it off your taxes later, then you're a cheap bastard. Well, um, and, and in fairness, it's, it's, it's not it's not thirty five dollars every week as you come to play. So it's not no, like, it's not like, it's not like they're going to charge fine. five bucks a person every time they sit down for an encounter. That's for a season, which usually goes for several months. No, I totally get that. But my point is that. I mean, for a large game store that's maybe running 20, 20 tables, eh, it could be a little pricey. Mm-hmm. Um, unless, they already, unless they already charge the players. Well, and that's what I was going to say. You'd have to charge your players to, to, to make up that, that money. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I can see it. it's kind of a wash. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's tricky, right? Because on one hand, I, right. I, I want to get the product. On the other hand, I also really like the fact that there is a an easy, free, cheap, whatever way of getting the word out about D and D and encouraging people to to try out the game and do all that kind of stuff. I think right. it's been a great marketing tool, and I think putting a price tag on it makes it a less successful marketing tool. 
Um, well, can I ask you? Although it is, it is, question, it is interesting. On a side note, it is interesting. Um, before I let Sam take it away, that they <laughs> that they do talk about uh, now supporting three editions. They're going to support. Th- oh, that's right. Third, I remember third, reading fourth, that. Third, fourth, and yeah. next. Oh, that's not yeah. a bad incentive. So they're you know well, bringing in some of the the lapsed third edition players. I think would be a good thing for them to do right before fifth edition comes out. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me ask you this: Are you sure that it's just one one thirty five dollar off the shelf product for the whole se- the whole two month season? That's what eight. It's eight sessions in that one thirty five dollar product. Are you sure it really is only that? Uh, no. <clears throat> Because I'm not, I'm not so sure based on what I've read that it's really that for all eight sessions. I mean, it, it talks about them needing the thirty-five dollar book to run the Murder in Baldur's Gate campaign. That implies to me anyway, that implies yep, that, it, right. that it's you pay one thirty-five dollar time and you run the season. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yep. If it's not, then I think you can go ahead and call Encounters dead. But if it's yeah. thirty-five bucks a week, then no way. Yeah, that doesn't seem reasonable, mm-hmm. but yeah, so. Interesting. I mean, if you've, if you've got six players at your table and you charge them five bucks each, you know, but then I'm, the store is not really losing money. But I'm not going to go to a, 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 a weekly thing like that if i got to pay right. f- five bucks. For, for, for two, for two for, hours or for, three for, hours, for yeah. Maybe, yeah, for maybe two or three <clears throat> hours of gaming. Now, right. if the game store is smart, if they do that, they'll offer incentives for people wanting to pay that money. So in other words, best player gets a you know set of dice, you right. know something or win like some that. Some sort of store credit, well, and, right? And this is, exactly. This is why this is why people should should bear in mind if you're doing something for free in a game store, continue to support that game store. I always made. Oh, a, yeah, we, we yeah, ran yeah. we ran my my weekly game in a game store for about a year, and I made it a point almost every single time I was in there. It wasn't weekly; it was twice a month. But I made it a point almost every single time I was in there to to buy something, usually a box of minis or something to add to my collection. Mm-hmm. But I, you right. know, they probably made. Ten dollars in profit on me every every time I went in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, if, but, you if everybody take, did, but you were taking something home. You weren't just spending that's true. ten no, bucks absolutely. to sit and play. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's what I'm saying is I think if, if more people are willing to do that every time they go in for an event like that, then more game stores are going to be willing to go ahead and just eat the cost mm-hmm. of you know well we'll spend thirty five bucks of, of you know four or five times to run a few tables and then um, eat that cost to encourage people again to into the. In, for encounters, because having those people in encounters for eight eight weeks, we're going to make our money back easy. Yeah, I wish our, I wish Topeka had a decent game store. And if anyone who works at the game store that is in Topeka is listening to this podcast, I am available as a media consultant. There you go. So please contact me <laughs> at the Tome Show, and I will be happy to help you improve your gaming portion of your store. Um, see, what happened is that it's really a comic book store that tries to be a game store. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And it doesn't do that well. I think it's an excellent comic book store. It probably works really well for that. But that, I don't buy comic books. And that's, so. that's a trouble at lots of places. I think, mm-hmm. I think from what I understand, I haven't been to actual physical game store in a while because the good one in town disappeared or, or fell apart or whatever. Uh, as I understand it, the best one in town now is actually a video game store who's, who's expanded to include tabletop games. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, we don't have one in town here. And that's my time. All right. Well, so we now move on to (coughs) Sam. Play it again, Sam. All right. Well, I actually have two articles I want to talk about if I get to them. 
uh, if I don't, oh well. Uh, the first one is the uh, June 24th Legends and Lore article by Mike Merles called System Versus Content. And I thought this article was, was pretty interesting. Um, basically what it talks about is the challenge of creating adventures or creating rules and designing adventures compared to creating rules and designing the game system. Um, and how, you know, it's really easy to actually conflate those two things and think of them as the same, but that he points out that the system is one thing and you need to be able to create adventures within that system that do not put such a stricture on the way that the game is played that won't allow flexibility for all the different types of game groups that are out there. Um, um, can you uh, tighten that up? Is that, yeah. So, so basically, <laughs> yeah. the the idea is this. Yeah, I know. I I have sort of went off into the weeds. Well, the, the I, idea think, is I think this. I think the whole article is a little bit. Floofy it is. Way. It's it's a very sort of theoretic kind of. Well, it's just saying, hey, we article. need to, it's just we need to make sure to to cover the story and have good mechanics to support it. Well, no, what I think <laughs> that's that's not actually what I think it's saying. Okay. What I think it's saying is there's a huge challenge in. You have to be able to say, okay, here's the system, here's the rules of the system, boom, there they are. But you can write an adventure module that will allow for many different types of play styles that does not at the same time violate the system core rules and allows for different types of play styles. And he he does go on to to talk about how we need to make sure that the core system is the most flexible part of the Mm -hmm. game. Uh, right. You know, so that for example, they talk about um, alignment. You know, alignment. They didn't want to get rid of it because it is a core part of what D and D is and has been for a long time. However, um, it doesn't fit everybody, so they wanted to, to divorce alignment from mechanics, like they did mm-hmm. uh, an edition right. ago. Um, right. So you can put it in. You can make it a big part of an adventure module without having to throw in mechanics that go counter to how someone runs a game. Right. Is the idea. Yeah. Um, but the, the whole reason I thought the article was interesting was because it sort of told me that they are they have moved on to thinking about how they're going to be writing adventures. And I think this actually dovetails up right up next to the whole Dragon Spear Castle thing and the whole murder at Baldur's Gate thing. Because they're trying to make – they're trying to basically solidify the system and not create um, adventures – that feed into the mechanic or that that uh, violate the mechanics of the system does that make sense i i'm, so, I'm not, yeah, Sam, I'm not me, explaining me, myself very no no very no that's fine i just want to clarify to make sure i'm understanding you mm-hmm. and if i'm understanding the article when it says that we're not we want to be able to write adventures well and the rules themselves so that they don't get in the way of your play style is that correct right right okay so they whether that's tactical yeah. or whether that's role playing largely role playing based mm-hmm. or some or right. or explore, exploration based or somewhere in between uh, we want those rules to be flexible and the base rules will be the most flexible to allow you to do any of those kinds of things is that right. what because, really, right okay. because that's true that's correct because how you design the system is what's going to determine how you can write different adventures right and whether you can make those different adventures have a variety of approaches or a variety of different items, and you don't want to have to for- end up forcing the system to be to be manipulated in order to make 
the actual adventure module work with a particular style. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, So it's, it's, it's an interesting article also because I feel like it says a whole lot about absolutely nothing. Yes, that's, <laughs> what, I was, that's what I was saying it's, before. It, it, it says so much about a sort of very theoretical approach of here we're making you this extremely solid system. And it's extremely solid, but on top of that, it's also flexible so that we can write these adventure modules of many different flavors and styles without violating the core tenets of the system. And, and let, let us proceed to give you almost no solid examples of this so that you, know, you can actually right. figure and out what Even the alignment <laughs> example isn't a solid example no. because he doesn't give an example of how, okay, in an adventure module you could do this and it doesn't violate the core rules. The only, the only also, solid thing we get is the paladin and how it doesn't detect evil anymore. It detects right. the presence of supernatural creatures. Natural creatures, yeah. And so it's, it's really interesting to me because I, I feel like the reason that this article was even written was because 4th edition D&D, which gets a lot of – complaints about it was written that directed a very specific style of gameplay mm-hmm. yes and the adventures were written to to sort of enhance a very specific style of gameplay and if you didn't play in that particular way you had to finagle things and house rule things and do things and you might have actually had to change actual core rules and I think the point of this article is they're trying to make this system so solid but flexible such that no adventure module directs a very particular st- style of play or this body, the sets of adventure modules written for this edition is not going to direct one single style of play. It can allow for a multitude of styles of play without actually you know, violating the tenets of the system. And I actually – I have a feeling what that means is that you'll see a lot of modules that were – and people are going to hate me. I'm going to hate me for saying this. But I have a feeling that you'll see modules that were written in a similar way, better hopefully, but in a similar way to the way first edition modules were written. You'll mm-hmm. get a setting and you'll get the monsters that are in that setting. And then it's kind of up to the DM how that whole thing works out. <laughs> right. Um, yep. You'll get a map. You'll get the monsters, and you'll get where the monsters are at on the map. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, maybe and, some- and maybe who, who the big bad is and some motivations right. of his and, and where he likes to live and who his biggest allies are. And that's very it. much a framework and not this uh, mm-hmm. linear type of one event leads to another event to another event kind of thing where it's all very right. linear. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's what you'll see. Hopefully written better than some of the original verses. As much as I love sure. them nostalgia-wise, yeah. some of them are pretty <laughs> abysmal. And yeah. their writing structure and things like that. But yeah, that's I, I agree. Yeah, I think that's probably a good way to design things. So. Yeah. Although I don't I don't know that, that I'd be willing to say that this means that that's what adventures are going to look like. I, I would be willing to say that it looks like they're trying to open it up so that you so that that can be one of many different styles of adventures that will be that will be sold. You know, I think uh, yeah. maybe I think the whole point is we want it to be flexible so that we can write, you know, 15 different types of adventures and everybody can find something that they like. But see, I hope that that's, if that's the case, it's coded in some way. Because I don't want to pick up an adventure thinking it's going to be some way, and then it turns out to be this whole other thing that there's no way I would want to run, even you, if the cover looks cool. You know how to solve that? Mm-hmm. Listen to a great review podcast like The Tome Show, and we will tell you. Because <laughs> that's what we're all about. Yes, yes. Let's move on. Sam's got okay. two minutes have, left, and the other article is more okay. interesting. So the, the other <laughs> article it was about um, – it's the uh, June 17th article about playtesting legendary uh, – the article is titled Playtesting Dragons. But really the article is about what they're calling in, in D&D Next legendary creatures. 
And um, what that is is basically what they – what the original or, or early intent of solo and elite creatures were in 4th edition, if you're familiar with 4th edition, um, has morphed into what they're now calling legendary because it's quite a bit different from apparently – based on what Mike says in this article. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently what the initial idea was for solo creatures in 4E, it didn't really turn out the way that, that they had envisioned. So he sets out these, these tenets of what a legendary – creature is. And the first one is that legendary means something. That is, um, it's not just another creature who happens to be big or yeah. who happens to fly. Or, the, the, these, are your, these are your boss fights. These are, right, these are your boss fights. And, and because it's your boss fight it, and, and because it's a legendary creature, it is an important creature. There is something important happening and it can affect the entire region. Um, the second thing is that the, these creatures I- ignore your action economy or your standard action economy, which I is, love that. <laughs> which means that yeah, they they're going to get bonus actions, they're going to get special abilities, they're going to get things that normal creatures don't have. Which is also um, something they started playtesting towards the end of fourth edition as well. Right, exactly. Um, and the the third one is that these legendary creatures are creatures of destiny. Um, they are ones that uh, that can. <laughs> he doesn't say as much. Basically, they can warp space time. They have extreme special abilities. They ha- they're going to have you know um, uh, the different attacks and things that can be extremely devastating. They have some free passes on saving throws in a lot of cases, depending on what they what their resistances and weaknesses are. Um, things that count. Things that will make it an interesting interaction, whether it's a battle or whether it's just a sort of discussion, because, you know, some dragons are intelligent. You can talk to them. They need to call, um, they need to call up Quinn Murphy and talk to him about the, uh, the, they, the world they breakers. They sure do, absolutely. Um, and the last one is, and that goes into this world breakers again, is that these legendary creatures can change their environment Environment. Um, you know, for example, the example he gives is a dragon's lair is not just some hole that the dragon stores all its hoard of treasure in. It's actually, you know, been been affected by the presence of such a magical beast for so long because a dragon with a with a big lair and a big hoard of treasure is going to be relatively old and is going to have affected its living environment in some way. So when your party is traveling in and, and going to look for the hoard of treasure, they're not just in some typical cavern. They're in a magical environment. Now, so yeah, see, the, for example, the 1980s movie Dragon Slayer, and you'll see right. exactly what that means. <laughs> it, yeah. is, the, is the implication of this then that all dragons are legendary creatures? Um, I don't think so. I think um, he did, used the, he, the reason he used that a he's legendary using, dragon. He he created and an actually, there's a link on this page to download his black dragon. It's the 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 tentative stats and, and information about the black dragon and its lair. Um, I it does not mean that all black uh, that all dragons are legendary or that legendaries are only dragons. That's not what it means at all. And in right. fact, the rule of three article that was published, I think, after this was published, um, is three questions about legendary creatures, legendary items, and stuff like that. Um, so you can check that out because uh, I ran out of time, so I can't really talk much more. But I think that long. The, the, the yeah. implication, uh, the implication of the dragon was just he. Oh, he talked about it that way because um, that's what he used when they were playtesting. So okay, uh, pr- I have a prediction. Sure, I predict that with a lot of legendary creatures presented in in mm-hmm. published material, will have a key to unlock them in some way or defeat them, if you will. Treated yeah. much like artifacts where the keys will be extraordinarily difficult to to acquire if you will and I'm using the term key but 
method, mm -hmm. whatever, will be extremely difficult to acquire, much like the destroying an artifact. But once you have that, becomes part of the story and is will help defeat the legendary creature if well, that needs well, to be. Well, and, and, and in fact, I, in fact, one of the things is that he he one of the things that he says about legendary meaning something is that you're not just talking about huge creatures because some of the examples he gives are dragons, of course, titans, fiends. You know, elder elementals, but also oh, a creature, totally a, a, a creature that found an artifact that made it legendary just by the nature of owning and handling that artifact. For example, right. an orc who found the spear of Groomsh is oh, suddenly yeah. a legendary figure, right? But not because it's a legendary orc, but because it's got that, it's got that spear, and it's it, touched it has, by a god. It's mm -hmm. touched by a god, exactly. So. Yeah. Yep, yep. So there, it opens up lots of possibilities. So I agree. There, there's probably going to be some sort of key thing that. Well, that I th and I think there there can be. I don't think you necessarily have to have that like uh, built sure, into the yeah, stats. Absolutely. But I think I think you could yep. certainly make that part of an adventure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I, that's right. why I said look for. I'd say that's why I'm predicting it. Look for it in published adventures yeah. that these things will have some kind of. Uh, not just an automatic well, gimme, you know. I don't mean it's a, like a, it's yeah. like in uh, the third edition version of I think it was Ravenloft, <laughs> where there were certain side quests you could complete that would weaken Strahd before the final encounter. Very mm -hmm. much, yeah, very much yeah. like that. I bet you're going to see that. Yeah, sure, why not? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, Sa right. Sam did two articles in his ten minutes uh, and, <laughs> and went over. So now yep. uh, Randall's going to do one article in the sa in the same ten minutes. So uh, we'll make up for some time. <laughs> That's right. That won't be a problem. So, adventurers, you're out adventuring. You're slaying legendary creatures. You're warping space time. But sometimes you got to take a break. And when <laughs> you take a break, what do you do? Are you just going to sit there and drink all the ale that the inn has to provide? Well, maybe the dwarf would say yes. But you might also want to do some other things. And that is what this article is about from Legends and Lore on the uh, 10th of this month. And it is about what can your character do when you're sitting around on your thumbs and not sticking your sword in a bunch of orcs. Which, and, I'm, which I'm actually kind of excited about because it's, it's, it's one of those tropes that's been in D&D like forever. Right. Of people doing stuff in between adventures. Uh, but now it'll be nice to have some actual like support for that. Right. The article gives some examples like crafting items like swords or armor, or taking a job or practicing a craft to earn money. Um, the thing that comes to mind is Bard standing up there on stage and have, earning money by playing songs every night, playing a set, um, studying or practicing a craft or developing social connections and alliances, um, building and managing castles or places of business and things, managing followers. Managing followers. That's so awesome. And, <laughs> and raising an army, which is always fun um, because, you know, it's sometimes useful to have an army. Um, the nice thing at it is that it looks like they're going to try to use some rules to codify some things, including breaking them down into like four categories that they see so far. Things like influence with actions that win over uh, that win you friends or political power, um, economic things, uh, actions that deal with earning and investing cash, uh, knowledge type stuff, which is actions that allow you to train abilities or uncover secrets, um, dominion actions for managing your personal followers and holdings. Do I kind of like this idea a lot. Do we think those four categories actually cover everything? Um, I really think they do. Uh, you don't want to make it too overly complex. And, um, you know, you don't want to present the players. I think what you really want is just general, like, buckets that if the, play, the player comes up with something that they want to do, then you can look at that and say, oh, well, you know, that's kind of economic. Or, you know, maybe if it's a mix, it, 
has part of one or part of the other. Yeah, my, but, my only thought to add would be making crafting its own category because there's so many things that you could be crafting and it's kind of sort of economic sometimes-ish, you know? But I almost feel like it, it needs a different mechanic. Yeah, it's sort of the combination of economic and knowledge, right? So it would be something that would work under both. It might not be economic, right? Because you might just buy 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 materials and then you're creating something for yourself though so it's only economic in that you spent a little bit of money does well, that really make but, it but you as, know? right well as i read the, the descriptions of the categories it talks about investing your cash as mm. being economics so the crafting sounds like a, an investment of cash more than anything else right but not if you're making a product for yourself to use investment in implies oh, but you're investing you know, i've taken my cash i've turned it into this war hero i'm gonna go bash things with yeah, I mean, I can see just point. I just, I don't yeah. know if it requires a separate category or not. If it's um, not economic, I, I, I don't know what it is. Yeah. I think knowledge is what you do before you craft. Yeah, it's, it's not see, part I, of crafting. I don't want crafting mm. to become as a thing like it was in in the third edition. Oh, I do. Where it was out of control. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I just, yeah. I like a, a robust um, crafting system. Not that I want. It, I'm going to use it all the time, but if I want to, I like for it to be there. Right. Um, and it, you know, some players might find that fun. You know, I don't know. Uh, we had, uh, like I said, it really came to light in the th- in the third edition. I mean, I had players that were like had gallons of potions on them. <laughs> you know, it's like, ugh, okay. But um, but yeah, I think to a certain extent, as all a, as opposed to other editions where we just had no right. rules at all for how to make a potion. Right, and I think this. Well, yeah. and these guidelines, honestly, these guidelines will be useful for a lot of players coming off of four E, where. There was no downtime, and you went from adventure to adventure, and and, mm. and no one did anything in the off hours except right. sleep, I guess, or rest and become and get full. You just, the next day. just didn't talk so, about it, right? You exactly. Know, you just you just didn't talk about it. You just uh, next yeah. session you said, okay, what everybody do? Oh, mm. nothing. Sat around in the tavern. Okay. Or yeah. or, or if they did do stuff, uh, it was it was oftentimes resolved with, okay, well, make a knowledge check or make a street right. check or whatever. You know, exactly. a, a single skill check is not nearly as interesting or engaging as what I hope they're trying to build with this. And let me get to the mm-hmm. let me get to the last point though, and that was that the what you really want your downtime to do and what I think the DM's goal for the downtime for its players will be to help develop storylines further down the road. Yeah. Um you sort of want the players to help, you know, do that kind of thing. And if a good DM will pick up on the things their players are doing and begin to incorporate them into his campaign. It will make the campaign certainly come more alive. It'll make the players feel like they're actually doing something. Imagine a player that uh, comes in after you know they defeat a local dungeon, but maybe there's another threat on the horizon. But in their downtime, before this threat comes to fruition, they decide they're going to help the town build a palisade. You know, maybe it doesn't have a wall, and so they build a palisade around it. So now you've influenced events. You've now protected this town to a certain extent, mm-hmm. um, and. That's it, it. Sort of makes a living, breathing uh, campaign site, which is awesome. That's, it, those it, are those are really great things. And it also makes the players more invested into this town. Yeah, that, oh, absolutely. That player just just put something into this thing, and, and now it's important. Right. Thing. Or as like the example he gives, you know, this character is really interested in finding a staff of power, and so every time they have downtime, they they research it. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, well, great. Now I know an adventure to send them on. Go finding the staff of power. But you know, all these other things can can also tie into that. And maybe that staff of power is a key element to defeating a legendary creature. That's right. Yeah, see I, I, I tied that up? That's yeah, right. that was nice. I think the last sentence of the article is probably, you know, th- this is the sort of sentence 
So I'll just read it to you. Mechanically speaking, we're aiming for a simple set of rules to develop the character's ties to the area and provide them with long-term goals. So that is exactly telling you what the intent of the system is and, and what they hope to do with it. That's, you know, in contrast to the system versus content Mm-hmm. article that we talked about earlier which really had no concrete anything right yeah um so well, at least so it seems like this system is is getting pretty you know fleshed out and and has a way to work mm-hmm. uh that's pretty solid i don't mm-hmm. i don't know that i don't know that i would go that far yet i mean they didn't give us any system at all they just gave us a handful of categories of, of things they're thinking about um, mm-hmm. So it could be that he's thinking about this as a module down the road, and it won't be in the corset too. Who knows? Um, but that's fine. Uh, what I see here it makes me hopeful. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, and we'll see how the rules turn out. But I, I'm hopeful because that, that's always stuff that's come up, and it's always been uh, – it's always chafed me a little bit of, oh, you want to go and spend a bunch of time doing research. Okay, well, that doesn't really have much of an effect, and there's not really much point in going and resolving that. So you just did that, and it happened, and, and let's move on. You know. Well, even in first edition, which you know you could go research spells, and and technically speaking, you know if you wanted to go research a new spell or something, it was supposed to take weeks and months of your time, and oh, yeah. and you could you know you were supposed to be you know talking about what you're doing and how you're trying to figure out about the spell and all that, and even then you know. Once you do that, once, you know, most people just want to hand wave it from then on right. because the system was not simple and it wasn't quick and it wasn't easy. And, See, it, wasn't, actually, and it wasn't that I engaging. Actually, and I actually resolved that in, in, in the third edition because I had a sorcerer that wanted to, or the wizard that wanted to do just that. And I said, well, it would take this amount of time. I said, and he goes, is there any way around that? And well, we thought about it. And what we, he ended up doing is that he ended up spending money on a wizard's trailer, a wagon. <laughs> So nice. that he could do his research within the wagon as they traveled from place to place. And right. so he could be – as they were traveling, he could be doing his research. And there were some penalties involved because it wasn't as big as a huge laboratory and things like that. Sure. But we worked those kinds of modifiers into it sure. and it worked out. But, and and, so, and that, that's, that's a great point that, that yeah. we've always found – Little like this when there's been systems for how to do this, and it's oftentimes mm-hmm. just been a simple, you know, let's role play this out real quick, or let's roll a, a skill die or whatever and call it done. Um, mm-hmm. And then how that affects things and what you figure out and or what happens or whatever has always been kind of iffy. Uh, but there's always been these weird corner cases of, you know, well, my character's got a year of downtime. I'm going to go lift weights every single day. Why doesn't my strength go right. up? You know, <laughs> right. ha- having right. having some sort of uh, system in place. To help us adjudicate those sort of right. weird corner cases, like I have a mobile lab I'm walking around with, uh, will be helpful. At least having some bare bones so that we have something to modify to get get to a spot that makes sense. And I think you'll find that in the rules, what they'll do is there'll be a set of options for these different categories um, based on your uh, level. You know, in, in rough groups. So, like, um, what what do we have? Uh, beginner, heroic, and then uh, epic. Is that what they're calling it now? I can't remember the three categories. That, no, I don't remember. I don't, yeah. But um, <laughs> we're so awesome. Yeah, whatever, guys. Come on. I know it was it. I know it was. You should, like find, the, you should find those novice, new, news desk guys. They're, they're good. It at was that. novice and heroic, and then I can't remember what the third one was. But um, was it legendary as well? I, I think see, it I was legendary. Maybe but I it was. I didn't say that because I think I'm just biased because the article was just yeah. right, and so I couldn't remember. But my point is, is that I think you'll, what you'll see is you'll see set of uh, sets of options. First level characters are not going to be allowed to build a castle. It's just not feasible. They won't have the money. Blah blah blah. Um, but however, that could easily be one in the her- upper heroic or in the you know uh, in the legendary area. So I think that you'll see these things grouped by 
by level, um, that kind of stuff. And just be, there'll be examples. It'll be if you want to do this, you know, it requires this amount of gold, blah, and, you know, role play it out. It won't be, I don't think it'll be a really complex system because I think they want to try to get away from that. But I think that it will be, there'll be some, there'll be guidelines. Yeah. I just like the idea I, of having a system to build from a skeleton that I can then yeah. turn mm-hmm. something into as I right. see fit. Absolutely. Well, I, would, I think, I think that, you know, the balance beam that they're walking on is the same one they've been walking on throughout the entire playtest. Make it mm-hmm. rich enough that people who don't want to add on have a meaty enough system that it works, mm-hmm. but make it, make it flexible enough that people who do want to add on can add on whatever they want and it doesn't put them in a straitjacket. All right. Well, we've already heard our music, so that's all the time we have for this episode. And we want to thank our sponsor, Noble Knight Games, as well as you guys, our humble listeners, the probably one or two of you, for supporting us by shopping at Amazon and D&D Classics through our affiliate links over at thetomeshow.com. And you can get a hold of us at thetomeshow.com or email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call the biz line at 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. That's 919-BIZ-TOME. You think there's only a few listeners? <laughs> where, where one or the, two. Where are the other thousands of downloads coming from? One tens or two. Tens of listeners. All right. Well, until next time, until next time, this is Jeff Greiner signing out for myself, Sam Dillon, and our man on the streets of Glantree. Is that it? It's- it's that been is, a magical experience. <laughs> All right. Well, our man on the streets of Glantree battling foes in my star, Randall Walker. Keep gaming, Tomites. Mm-hmm.